As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Well, hello there, everybody. This is Nurse Mo, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. Today is episode 103, and we'll be tackling pharmacology a bit today, which I know is your favorite subject, right? So if you haven't yet, put on your tennis shoes, popped in your earbuds, gone out for a walk, tackled some laundry, started cleaning out a closet, doing whatever so that you can maximize your time and you're not sitting at your desk. I'll allow you commuting. That's fine. That's totally acceptable. Um, Then do so. I don't want you just sitting at your desk while you listen to me ramble. Let's get up and move our bodies and be productive, either keeping ourselves well or keeping our homes running smoothly. I know I always feel so much more relaxed and on top of things when my house is in order. Okay, so before we jump into our pharmacology focus today, let me give a quick listener shout out to Tash. I hope I'm saying that right. And Tash writes, wonderful resource. Thank you for your podcast. I am an Australian first year student and always looking for extra resources to cement some of the things I am learning. I came across your podcast and find it so informative, very translatable with Australian learning. Thank you. Tash, thank you so much for taking the time. I do get a lot of Australian students emailing me, asking me if my resources would be helpful for them. And I always say, I'm pretty sure because every now and then I'll hear from an Australian student that they're using my study guides, they're using my website, my podcast, whatever, and they're finding it helpful. So thank you for reiterating that. I appreciate you reaching out so very much. Okay, you guys. So today we're talking about, and I promised last week on the podcast that I'd be able to say it by now, and I've been practicing hydroxychloroquine. I did it. So today that's what we're talking about. So it's funny, even people with zero healthcare experience um, these days have heard of the medication hydroxychloroquine. It has been discussed ad nauseum as a potential treatment and very controversial treatment for COVID-19. Uh, what was once a drug that really existed, you know, not, not super well known because it's not used for widely like, say, um, metoprolol or Synthroid or something like that, um, a drug that wasn't used that widely has now been propelled into the headlines. And rather than get caught up in the controversy surrounding this drug, in the fact that people were claiming its benefits and that studies are now showing that, you know, there's possibly not really any benefit and that it might have actually harmed patients, we're going to dive into the actual information that you need to know in order to give this drug safely or take care of patients on your exams who are hypothetically taking this drug. So 
We'll be using the Straight A Nursing Pharmacology Framework Drugs, that's with two R's, and that will help us get all the most important facts squared away that we need to know as nurses, as nursing students for this medication. Okay, are we ready? All right, so D in the acronym DRUGS stands for drug class. So hydroxychloroquine also goes by the brand name Plaquenil. Gosh, I'm hope I I really hope I'm saying these correctly. This is an anti-malarial drug, so it's in the drug class of anti-malarial drugs. You also may see it considered a DMARD, disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drug. So anti-malarial or DMARD, mainly anti-malarial drug. However, okay, so then. R in the acronym, there's two R's. That first R is for routes. How is this drug given? Well, unlike nitroglycerin and albuterol, some drugs we've talked about recently that had a bunch of different routes, hydroxychloroquine has one route. So that's easy. It is given PO and PO only. So right there, already an easy drug to learn, right? The second R in the drugs acronym is regular dose range. Now, I'm not one of those, like if I was a clinical instructor, I don't think I would make you guys memorize exact drug dosages because I feel like that's a waste of time. Um, You're going to have a drug guide so that you can always look up your drug dosages. What I would want you to know is a general idea of how the drug is dosed. And that's mainly so that you might notice if something is wildly off from the standard. For example, let's say you were giving fentanyl and someone had ordered 100 milligrams of fentanyl. I don't need you to know that For mild pain, it's 12.5. For moderate pain, it might be 25. For severe pain, it's 50 or 100. That's important, but it's not nearly as important as the general guideline that fentanyl is dosed in micrograms. So seeing an order for 100 milligrams would clue you in that something is really not right. So when I talk about regular dose range, we're just talking about in general to give you an idea of what a regular dose range would be because A, it's going to change based on the prescribing physician, right? But just know typically a typical dose of hydroxychloroquine is 200 to 600 milligrams a day. And this will depend on uh, why it's being used. It will depend on if it's a loading dose, an initial dose, or a maintenance dose. But two to 600, pretty common dose range. Okay. And then the U in our acronym is uses. Finally, what is this drug actually used for? So hydroxychloroquine has been traditionally used as an anti-malarial drug, which makes sense. It's an anti-malarial drug class. Um, And it's used in areas of the world where tolerance to this drug has not yet developed. There might be some parts of the world that are not able to use hydroxychloroquine for malaria because there is some resistance to the medication. Though, The exact mechanism of action against malaria isn't totally clear. We do know that the drug 
will accumulate in the malaria parasites lysosomes, and that raises the pH and interferes with that parasite's ability to break down hemoglobin. So this in turn prevents the parasite's normal growth and replication. I don't know if you need to know that much detail. I just found it kind of interesting. So it's an anti-malarial drug. It is also considered a DMARD. And DMARD, again, stands for disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drug. And in that regard, it is used to treat rheumatic disease such as rheumatoid arthritis and systemic lupus erythematosus. I would say it's probably used for lupus more or it's more commonly known as a lupus treatment. So in those rheumatic disease, hydroxychloroquine is used to decrease the pain and the swelling of the joints um, associated with that arthritic involvement. And it also in turn helps prevent joint damage and it can prevent or ease the intensity of those lupus flare-ups. So that's why patients with lupus take it and also patients with rheumatoid arthritis. Okay, so moving on in our acronym, G is for guidelines. So and this part of the acronym, we talk about safety things, things that you as the nurse kind of need to know to give this drug safely. So probably the most interesting thing about hydroxychloroquine is that it comes with a pretty significant safety profile. So if you've been paying attention to the news and reading about it um, with that COVID-19 controversial treatment, you may have read that some people were saying, wait, let's not jump the gun and start, you know, using this as a mainline treatment. We don't know how safe it is. This drug does have um, risks associated with it, right? So that's one of the reasons why it has been kind of some controversy surrounding that. So what sorts of guidelines? Let's say you've got a patient with lupus and you want to make sure that you're giving this medication very safely for your patient. So one of the things that you would want to know is if your patient is taking any hepatotoxic medications or has any history of liver disease because hydroxychloroquine can potentiate um, the liver harming effects of the drugs and can cause some um, liver damage, especially when taken with other drugs that can cause liver damage. So you definitely want to know what other medications that they're taking. Also, hydroxychloroquine does cross the placenta and it is excreted in breast milk. So you would want to know if your patient is pregnant or breastfeeding. It could be used in, in women who are pregnant and breastfeeding in very certain circumstances. I believe I read that it would be into treating malaria. It maybe wouldn't be used to treat lupus in pregnant and lactating women. But if they've got malaria, then, you know, possibly it's because the risk, um, benefit profile is in favor of more benefit than risk. So it might be used in very specific circumstances in your pregnant or breastfeeding woman, but otherwise probably not. If your patient is on digoxin, so let's say you're taking care of a patient with a cardiac history and they get prescribed hydroxychloroquine, you want to check and see if they are getting digoxin. And you will need to monitor digoxin levels very, very carefully because hydroxychloroquine can increase the serum levels 
of digoxin, and then your patient can have digoxin toxicity. So thinking about that, what are some of the signs of digoxin toxicity? I did a podcast on digoxin. I'm not sure how, did I do a podcast? I think I did. If not, I will. I definitely wrote about it. Um, Some of the symptoms of digoxin toxicity that will be on your exams because they're like the classic symptoms, bradycardia, the patient seeing yellow, and uh, nausea vomiting. So if you've got a patient in your exam that's seeing yellow, bradycardia, or has nausea vomiting, seeing yellow, bradycardia, think digoxin toxicity. And the treatment is a reversal agent called Digibind, which is very expensive. Okay, so now you know everything you need to know about digoxin. Just kidding. There's a whole bunch more to know. But um, just a little aside there. So if your patient is taking DIG, you want to make sure that you're following those DIG levels very carefully and monitoring for the signs of digoxin toxicity. Also, before starting therapy, so this medication can damage the eyes, one of the adverse effects. So the patient will need to get an eye exam before they take it so we know what their eyes are doing beforehand. And then probably on a regular basis, uh, one resource I found said every three to six months because it can cause this retinal damage. Um, to the eye. The patient can be instructed to always wear dark glasses when out in bright light. That can help decrease the retinal damage. They're still going to need uh, continued following uh, follow-up with an optometrist or an ophthalmologist for that. You will need to monitor their CBCs and their platelet counts throughout therapy. And make sure the patient knows that GI upset is not very uncommon. So they could have an upset stomach when taking this medication. So it's probably best if they take it with food or a substantial liquid like milk. And then if the patient is taking this medication, let's say they're not taking it for lupus. Let's say they're going on a trip to a part of the world where malaria is prevalent and they're taking it for malaria prophylaxis, then they will have to start taking it, I believe it's two weeks. So take a full two weeks of the medication before they go on their trip. And then when they return, for up to, I think, six to eight weeks after the fact. Um, So a little bit of time before, quite a bit of time afterwards. Let's say you're giving hydroxychloroquine to your little cute little old lady patient. She's like, honey, I can't, I can't swallow those big pills. I don't know if they're big, to be honest, but let's just say I, I like, can you crush it up for me, sweetie? Can you do that? The drug guide says, yes, you can. Some meds you can't crush, so you always want to check. But this one, it says you can crush it and mix it with something like some, it said jam or jello, which Mixing it with jam uh, would taste awful, but maybe it needs that to counteract the bitterness of the medication. In the hospital, we often use applesauce, um, but it says you can mix it with jam or jello for easy administration if the patient isn't able to actually swallow pills, and a lot of patients can't swallow pills very well. You also want to assess the patient for muscle weakness. This medication can cause muscle weakness, so you can test their deep tendon reflexes to see if they're having any muscle weakness associated with the hydroxychloroquine. And then one of the main things is monitoring for QT prolongation. So one of the safety risks with this medication is that it can prolong the QT interval 
And when the QT interval is prolonged, it puts the patient at high risk of going into a fatal ventricular dysrhythmia. So you definitely don't want that to happen. And so what happens is patients take a medication like this that prolongs the QT interval, but guess what? They're also on other medications that prolong the QT interval. And before you know it, their QT interval is so disrupted and so long that they go into a fatal dysrhythmia and can absolutely die from that. So uh, I did a whole um, blog post about the QT interval and why it's so important and why it matters. So I will link to that in the episode notes so that you can go right to it and learn all about that. It's very interesting. Okay, so we've talked about some of the guidelines for giving hydroxychloroquine safely and the monitoring that you're going to do and some of the patient education. The S in the DRUGS acronym is for side effects. What are some of the side effects of this medication? So again, that cardiac side effects you're going to be watching for, the prolonged QT interval, you're going to be watching for ventricular dysrhythmias and low blood pressure. So all of those things can occur. With the GI tract, that upset stomach is a common side effect. Again, asking or advising the patient to take it with food or milk is going to help with that. They may have nausea. They may have vomiting. It can also um, cause that liver, liver disease, liver failure can occur, and also loss of appetite in some patients. CNS side effects, central nervous system side effects could be seizures, could be uh, confusion, fatigue, the patient may have severe headaches, could even have psychoses. So very serious central nervous system side effects can occur. Looking at hematology, this can cause aplastic anemia, agranulocytosis, thrombocytopenia, and leukopenia. So again, you're going to be monitoring um, those uh, blood counts, the CBCs and the platelets and all of that. With the dermatological system, some side effects that patients could have are hyperpigmentation, they could have alopecia, hair loss, and Stevens-Johnson syndrome, which is that uh, condition where the skin basically sloughs off and you're basically dealing with, um, if not full body, basically burns, um, then very close to that. So that is a very serious condition and it's extremely painful and basically puts the patient into a physiologic state as though they had a large, large portion of their tissue burned, which is a whole other thing. And I should do a podcast on the care of burn patients because that is very interesting. And then for the muscular system, it can cause neuromyopathy. And that's why you're going to be assessing those deep tendon reflexes to observe for any muscle weakness. And then for the eyes, ears, nose, and throat arena, it can cause that retinopathy that we talked about. So they're going to be getting those eye exams, wearing those dark glasses. It can cause ototoxicity and tinnitus. So um, if the patient complains of tinnitus, um, maybe there's some ototoxicity going on. Maybe they need their, um, their hearing evaluated. So, um, just know that even though this medication was in the news because of a, you know, potential and controversial treatment for COVID-19, it's really mainly used for the most part for patients who have lupus. And on those patients, you know, they take the medication, they're monitored appropriately for it. 
and a lot of patients do very well with it. So just because it has a, a very unique and you know significant safety profile doesn't mean patients uh, you know shouldn't be taking it with the right medical care and monitoring. Of course, patients do very well with it. So that is the main gist for hydroxychloroquine. If you want to learn more about lupus, then I invite you to go check out podcast episode 56, where I talk all about lupus. I will also link to it in the show notes as well. And then next week, we will be diving into a topic that is near and dear to my heart because I'm about to graduate from graduate school. But most of you that are graduating right now are graduating from your undergrad programs. And you have a lot of questions about that and what's next. So we'll be talking about that next phase of your life in next week's podcast episode. So before I close out, do you guys want to do a pod quiz real quick? I know you really like those. So let's do a little bit of pod quizzing about hydroxychloroquine. Okay, so if you don't know how this works, I ask a question, I pause to give you a moment to shout out the answer or say it in your head if you're shy, and then um, that's how it works. It's like doing flashcards for your ears. Okay, so uh, what is the common brand name for hydroxychloroquine? Do you remember that one? Okay, so that was Plaquenil, and what... Condition is it often used to treat that's not malaria? Good. It's used for lupus, also used for rheumatoid arthritis. So what drug class is hydroxychloroquine? It is an anti-malarial drug, also considered a DMARD. And what does DMARD stand for? That is disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drug. Very good. So for the patient with lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, what does it do for them? So it's going to prevent or reduce the severity of the lupus flare-up. It's also going to help decrease pain and swelling of the joints with that arthritic involvement and help prevent joint damage. Very good. Okay, so why are you going to monitor digoxin levels for your patient taking both hydroxychloroquine and digoxin? Absolutely right. It can increase the serum levels of digoxin. And then as a quick aside, what are those three common symptoms of digoxin overdose? We have the bradycardia. Very good. We have the patient seeing yellow and we have that nausea vomiting. So very common. I guarantee you that will be on an exam at some point. Okay. Um, how can your patient help reduce the risk of retinal damage? They can wear dark glasses when they're in bright light. Very good. What would you teach your patient to do to help minimize the GI upset of this medication? You want to teach them to take it with food or some milk. Very good. Can you crush this med? 
The drug guide says you can. Very good. What would you do to assess for neuromyopathy? You could check their deep tendon reflexes, check their muscle strength. Very good. And then what does hydroxychloroquine do to the QT interval? Yes, it can prolong it. And why do we care? Why is that a big deal? That is a big deal because it can put the patient into a fatal dysrhythmia. We do not want that to happen. Okay, you guys, I think that sums up the main things to know about hydroxychloroquine. If you come across one of your patients, maybe with lupus, who's taking it, now you know kind of the real story about this medication. So I hope you have a great week and I will see you back here next week to talk about what are we going to do after graduation? What is next? Okay, see you then. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night.